listening to Maine Ties, a podcast of the Maine Community Foundation. I'm Taylor Mace. In Maine, a domestic violence assault is reported to law enforcement every two hours and 22 minutes. In 2019, domestic violence assaults made up 34% of the total assaults reported to law enforcement. Nationwide, one out of every four women and one out of every 10 men have experienced sexual or physical violence or stalking by an intimate partner during their lifetime. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Over the next few weeks, domestic violence programs across Maine will host a variety of events and campaigns honoring survivors and encouraging communities to move beyond awareness and take action to end domestic abuse. If you are in need of help, visit the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence at mcedv.org or call the statewide hotline at 1-866-834-HELP and you will be connected to assistance in your area. I wanted to begin today's episode with those statistics and that important information before introducing Kelly Brown, Associate Director of Next Step Domestic Violence Project in Ellsworth and Machias, who is going to share what options domestic violence survivors have and how you can help. My name is Kelly Brown. I'm the Associate Director with Next Step Domestic Violence Project. What Next Step does is we first help anyone who's impacted by domestic violence. And how we start that process is people will call the helpline. That is oftentimes the first interaction with folks as they call our helpline, which is 24-7. And through that helpline, we begin to safety plan. And with that safety plan, If it's felt by either the survivor or the advocate that a particular resource would be helpful, that's where Next Step comes in is we have a lot of internal programs or we can connect them with outside resources. The most often used program at Next Step is our legal services. We help people with protection from abuse orders, which many people call a restraining order. And that is a big part of some folks' safety plans. So, for example, a judge saying, this is what this person can and cannot do. Some folks need that um, intervention to help them and their family to be safer. The other thing that the legal team can assist with is family matters, such as child custody situations, marital property, divorce separations, things along those lines, or any modifications to an existing order to help someone to be safer. The housing shortage in Maine impacts survivors of domestic violence as they may not have the option to live somewhere without their abuser. We have housing. This is such a need right now in throughout the state of Maine. There is a huge homeless population and victims of domestic violence. That is a way that perpetrators know they can gain that power and control is by saying, if you don't do A, B or C, you won't be able to stay here or the house is in my name because all too often we see that the assets are in the perpetrator's name and the debt is in the victim's name which is very intentional. 
And so that victim is, um, again, felt like there's that power and control dynamic that if I don't do these things, I won't be able to remain in the home or I won't have access to the funds to our checking account or to the credit cards. So they really feel that they need to stay. And so the next program that is often used is helping with housing, whether it be helping them to stay in their home with the use of a protection order um, or um, being able to come into our shelter or helping them to find other housing through access through vouchers, helping them to connect to the voucher program, finding a landlord that will allow them to stay. Or sometimes it is that they are currently renting and the landlord has told them both to leave because of damage to the property, because police being called in, because they're late on their payment, a variety of reasons. And sometimes when Next Step is able to explain to the landlord what is going on for the person being victimized, sometimes they will continue to work with the survivor and say, okay, so if we can switch things into your name, and sometimes Next Step has some funding that can help the survivor to be able to pay the next couple months rent until they can get a steady income coming in. So they, again, they're able to stay in their home. Um, and the perpetrator, the one who's committing the crimes, is the one who has to leave. A common tactic that domestic violence perpetrators use is to isolate their victim from friends and family. Support groups such as the ones at Next Step are integral for survivors to feel less alone. All too often we hear from survivors that they feel so alone. The perpetrator has very purposely said, you have no friends, nobody will believe you, or they've really stopped the past relationships that they had throughout time. Um, and then when the person realizes this is not a healthy relationship, this is not okay, and I do need to leave, they then realize I have no support systems. Through all these years, they have been cut off. And so oftentimes people are reaching out to us to rebuild friendships, to rebuild support systems, to think about all the resources that might be available to them so they don't have that isolation. And support groups are a great way to do that, to just hear they're not alone, that other people have experienced similar things, and to get some suggestions from other survivors saying, hey, here's what we did that worked really well, or ooh, we did that and it didn't work and here's why. <laughs> so that survivors can get a lot of information and a lot of perspectives so that they can then make choices that might work best for them. Instances of domestic violence do not always mean that there are visible injuries. There are many other ways that someone can be victimized and warning signs that friends and family may observe. All too often, people are quick to think of domestic violence and think I'm looking for a bruise or I'm looking for someone to say really hurtful things, mean and hurtful things. So we think of physical and verbal abuse. And that is all too often very true in a relationship where someone is choosing power and control over their partner. 
But there's other things that can be much more subtle that community members can look for and maybe be helpful sooner to an individual. So for example, I mentioned earlier the isolation piece. I was working with a survivor and she had said, you know, now that I think about it, when we first started dating, it was like in the first few weeks, we were on a car ride and we drove by this building. And my partner was very quick to say, you know what that building is back there? That's Next Step Domestic Violence Project. And this is what they do. And I actually know them quite well. And so right there, this person thought about it and said, I think right at that time, they were trying to separate me from your services, knowing that I might reach out to you years later, because when I thought of you, I immediately had this tension of, I don't think I can use their services, or how does, how was it that my partner knew about them? And it almost stopped them from reaching out and calling us. And so, all too often that isolation begins and it's so subtle you wouldn't think of it. All she thought at the time was, oh, I didn't know what that building was. Isolation can also look like, um, let's move. You know, your mom is always interfering in what we're doing. If, you know, if she wasn't so whatever, we would get along better. And so you might think, you know, I can understand that to some degree. I won't call my mom as often. Or maybe if we move to this other location and don't live so close to them, I can still have a relationship with my mom, but I can begin this really neat relationship that I think is a possibility with this individual. So isolation is definitely one sign that there might be some power and control dynamics happening. Somebody intentionally trying to isolate their partner from resources that they may want or need in the future. And then another part is financial abuse. And all too often, our legal team will find that they're talking with someone and they think they know what their assets are. They think they know what the debt is. They think they know what is in their name. And all too often, there is debt in their name that they didn't even know about. Or they thought their name was on the house and it never was. Oftentimes, there's some financial dynamic that um, really can create a power and control difference. You know, it, it puts this place where one person has more power than the other because they have control over those assets. A threat can be so subtle that it could be done in front of you and you wouldn't even know it. So, for example, this is a this is an example that is often given at the police academy, and it helps law enforcement to really understand how they have to be very aware of this when they're arriving on the scene. But it could be that every time before I physically beat my partner, I take my jewelry off, then all I need to do in a crowd is fidget with my ring. I don't lay a hand on you. I don't look intimidating. I might even be laughing with the person I'm talking with. But I'm doing a gesture 
that lets you know I'm fidgeting with my ring or it might be some other gesture that I often do that means something to you, I'm sending a message that whatever you're doing, you need to stop or there are going to be serious consequences. And so we really need to be mindful of that when a survivor is telling us, I don't know why, but I'm anxious. I don't because sometimes they haven't even put those pieces of the puzzle together. It's really important that we believe them and that we trust them and that we begin to safety plan because they may not even understand what that is. But all too often, it's very real. An unintended consequence of the COVID-19 lockdowns in 2020 was a decrease in the number of domestic violence reports. On the surface, this sounds positive, but in fact, it was estimated by the American Journal of Emergency Medicine that domestic violence incidents increased by as much as 35% globally during the pandemic. In Maine, domestic violence programs noticed the same trends. When many people were being quarantined and many businesses were not able to do face-to-face business as they typically had, we saw a huge decline in calls. And that really scared us. And we were double-checking our helpline. And this was across the state of Maine. We were all reporting the same things to one another. And what we realized when we did start hearing from survivors is that they couldn't call because their abusive partner was now at home. They were either laid off or they were working from home. So there was not a safe opportunity for them to make the connection to us as they had in the past or as they would have wanted to. And since their abuser was at home more, the domestic violence was escalating. It was happening more often because that connection was there more often. And so we were really fearful for survivors and we were coming up with very creative ways to still be able to reach out to them. So to make sure that they could connect through our website if they needed to and really talk with them about, is there an opportunity for you to go to a neighbor's house? We were also really working to get our support groups so that people could participate from home when it was safe for them to do so. So they weren't losing that one place where they could go and not feel so isolated and to still talk with other survivors who they had gained a relationship with. So we were trying to find ways to still have those support groups without doing it face to face. In honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, Kelly shares the myriad ways you can help your local domestic violence project or shelter. We get to bring community members in to answer that question, how can we help? What can we do? And there's such a variety of ways. I encourage people, think of what you're already doing and how could that help a survivor? So if you're someone who paints houses, maybe you could come in and paint our shelter. Paint a room in the shelter so it feels welcoming. It's not the white walls, but maybe it's some beautiful colors. If you're an artist, maybe you could donate a painting that could be put into the shelter that makes someone know you are cared about and you live in a community that cares about you. 
If you are part of a faith-based organization, make sure Next Steps tear-off posters and brochures are at that faith-based location. So if there is a survivor, if there is someone being victimized, they know how to get those resources and they know that their church cares and knows it could be happening and they're a safe place that you can come to and talk to. If you're an employer, I just spoke with a gentleman from TD Bank and he said, you know, Kelly, we offer financial literacy. We can come and talk to your survivors, no cost, no pressure to use our bank. We won't even talk about what bank we're from. And we can come in and talk to them about financial literacy and regaining their credit. So there's so many ways I encourage you to think about what is it that I do that I could bring to Next Step? Because there's so many ways that people can volunteer. It's endless. I feel like we at Next Step, we get to work with people through their journey and you see some of the most amazing survivors. And when you hear what they are able to overcome and how they can then turn around and help others or start this career that they always wanted to do or they never thought they would be able to, uh, it, it's just wonderful that they trust us to be a part of that journey. For more information about how you can support your local domestic violence project, visit the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence at mcedv.org. If you are in need of support, call the statewide hotline at 1-866-834-HELP and you will be connected to assistance in your area. You can find all episodes of Maine Ties on our website at www. Dot mainCF.org or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm.